All right, good morning, Mercy Hill Church. While the kids are being dismissed, uh, just a quick announcement. The doors that have been ordered to go in on this side, I, I believe they're scheduled to be installed on, I think, October 16th, if my memory is correct. So for those of you who enjoy sitting on that right side, the noise level should come down a little bit. And um, if you would, take out a Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Today's scripture will come from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We'll begin reading in verse 11 and we'll read through chapter 6, verse 3. We're in a series entitled, Jesus is Better, as we study the book of Hebrews. And today we're looking at a message that I've entitled, Heart of Hearing. Heart of Hearing. Let's begin in verse 11 as you follow along. The writer says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the word of the Lord. This morning as we begin, I want to hear back from you. I want to ask you a question. I know that's going to disturb a few of you. You grew up with mom elbowing you saying, shh, be quiet. But I actually want to hear from you today. And um, here's my question why do you think it is that it's, more, that, it's, that it's more fun to study the Bible with people who are not yet followers of Jesus, oftentimes, than it is to study the Bible with those who have claimed to be followers of Jesus for a really long time? Why do you think that is? Why is it more fun to study the Bible with people who don't even, who are not yet claiming the beliefs that they're reading and studying? It's more fun to study the Bible within oftentimes than it is to study the Bible with people who claim to be followers of Jesus for years and years and years. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Yeah, it's fresh. They're reading it with fresh eyes. These are new stories. They're getting excited. You get excited to see their excitement. Yes. Miss Trudy says, they show up thinking they're actually going to learn something. We show up thinking we're know-it-alls. That's my summary. Anything else? 
What do you think, Charlie? Charlie says, as a Christian, God wants us to share his word. It's part of being a Christian. Yeah, so sometimes when we say the Bible with believers, um, our expectations aren't quite met. And that's what this passage is all about. Where immaturity comes from and what it looks like to grow in maturity of faith. Um, I think if we're not careful, it's really easy for us as Christians to become what this passage describes as hard of hearing. For a lot of different ways. We get set in our ways. Some of us as Christians, and many of you in this room fit into this category, have become very cynical and sarcastic of many things within the church and the Christian life. And that's a very dangerous place to be. See, one of the, one of the greatest blessings for me has been over the last 15 years of my life, I've been a church planter. And you know what happens when you become a church planter? It means that your level of sarcasm and cynicism has to go down because you're responsible. You can't look around and say, they've all got it wrong because you're a church planter. You're your own boss. So guess what? You can fix it. And some of us, if we aren't careful, we can have very cynical eyes toward the church. We kind of armchair quarterback. Like that's easy to do. It's Let's be honest, it's easy to sit there and talk bad about Ole Miss, right? I'm sorry. I should, I should never have brought up a score that was as terrible as 66-3. That was wrong of me. Um, but it's easy for us to armchair quarterback, right? But it's very difficult for us to authentically engage in our faith and in the calling that Jesus has given us in our identity, so today, as we look at this big idea of this passage, learning to listen is a key to the Christian life. Learning to listen. These individuals had become deaf. They're spiritually deaf. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're deaf, that we're not good listeners. I know in elementary school, I did a project on colorblindness, and I printed off these circles and within the circles were lots of different dots of different colors. And within those circles, there were supposed to be numbers. And I, I took them off the printer and I took them to my parents and I said, there's no numbers here, something's wrong. And they said, no, there's numbers. And I said, oh, I think I'm colorblind. Sometimes we don't even know. And I am colorblind. My wife bought me a shirt last week. I said, I like this blue shirt you bought me for my uh, birthday. And she said, that's good. It's not, wasn't this shirt, it was a different one. She said, good, I'm glad you like it. It's green. <laughs> so I never go shopping alone because I'm colorblind. I've learned that. Sometimes we don't know of our blindness. Sometimes we don't realize we're deaf. This message today is to help us recognize areas in our spiritual life where we have become deaf. There's three characteristics of spiritual deafness that we see in this passage. Look in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The context of 
this passage, the writer is teaching on huge doctrine of redemption. We looked at, Chris taught last week, those first ten verses in chapter five, looking at the way in which we've been redeemed, we've been reconciled because of Jesus. And if you want to know the key that unlocks the book of Hebrews, this is a really difficult book to understand. But if you want to know the key that unlocks the book of Hebrews, it's Jesus. You say, well, that's so generic. But understand what the writer, his argument is this. Jewish Christians, the new covenant is better than the old covenant. And it's better because of Jesus. Because Jesus is better. So that's what he's proving all throughout this text. But he stops. We halt this week. And he stops his argument in trying to persuade these people that Jesus is better. And he stops it because they cannot go any deeper. Their level of understanding is limited because he said they have become spiritually deaf. They are of dull hearing. They're overly familiar. They've received just enough truth to gain immunity to it. So they've become inoculated by the gospel. They've gotten just enough of it that they're familiar with it. And now they no longer are hearing well. They're dull in hearing. The first characteristic of those who are suffering from spiritual deafness is they are lethargic. We see that in this text. They're lethargic. They've become spiritually deaf. Dull of hearing. Now this is the... This is the third exhortation that we've received in the book of Hebrews. He's got this argument, Jesus is better. That's the key that unlocks this book. But this is the third time that the writer has stopped in the middle of his argument. And to give you an idea of how difficult this text is, it's kind of like, I don't know if any of you grew up in a traditional church setting, but in a traditional church setting, the pastor would stand at the back door and the church members would file by the pastor and shake his hand and greet, he would greet the church on their way out. And this is the kind of text in which the church, as they greet the pastor, would say, Pastor, this week you stopped preaching and you started meddling. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. That was common in traditional churches that when the pastor began to step on some toes and to get a little too close to home, and there's this sense that even as you sit in your seat that someone has their finger and they're kind of poking you in the chest and it's getting a little uncomfortable. Pastor, you stopped preaching and you started meddling. The writer of Hebrews begins to meddle this week. And he says these people spiritually are lethargic. Look in... uh, All the way back, this is the third exhortation we've received. The first came in chapter 2, verse 1. An exhortation or rebuke might be a better term. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, We must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away. I don't know if you remember that text, but the natural inclination of the Christian life is to drift. We never drift toward mission, and we never drift toward the gospel. Instead, the natural inclination of the Christian life is to drift away from the truths of the Lord Jesus. To drift toward the world. That's our natural inclination. It's why we need the church so desperately. 
Otherwise, we'll make our faith at best all about ourselves. We'll follow and preach a gospel of good health and good wealth and good things for you and yours. And the gospel will become all about ourselves. So many people who claim to be followers of Jesus today merely see Jesus as a cosmic butler who answers to their whims. Jesus answers all their requests. He never requires the submission of our individual will to His Lordship. And that's not Christianity. It's something else. We're either in Christ on His terms and by His grace, or we aren't. Christianity and consumerism are antithetical. They oppose one another. If you use terms like church shopping, I would suggest that you come up with a different term. You say, well, that's what it is today. It should not be. Consumerism and Christianity do not fit together. Jesus calls us not to comfort and convenience, but to deny ourselves. Matthew 16, 24, deny yourself. Uh, Luke 14, 27, take up your cross. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Jesus said, let me give you an illustration. What it means to be a disciple of mine is to take up your cross daily and follow me. A form of terror, a form of persecution, that you would take that up daily and follow him. Is this the Christianity that you think about? What what this means is, is that if you would describe your life as comfortable or unchallenged, it, it means you're most likely lethargic and drifting away from the faith. Think about your life. Is it comfortable? I want to speak to one of the dangers of modern day church when we market to every whim of an individual and treat people as customers who need to be satisfied. Is there any surprise that we end up with a lethargic people of people who would react strongly to a gospel that calls them to risk, to be uncomfortable? to die to themselves. He goes on in chapter 3, verse 6, he gives the second rebuke or exhortation. He says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do you remember that passage that we've looked at? The second rebuke throughout Hebrews. Don't harden your hearts. Don't Don't become hardened to God's Word by the deceitfulness of sin. I believe one of the greatest ways to hear God's voice comes through studying His Word. But not just studying His Word on a Sunday morning. Studying His Word in community in a way in which we are requesting accountability. You know you can't hold anyone accountable. That's a myth. They can lie. You can't hold anyone accountable. You have to want to be held accountable. And so as we live in community, studying God's Word, committed to listening to His voice and committed to then obey on a regular basis, requesting accountability, we begin to see change. But let me ask you this question. What does it mean for Christians who, as they think about their lives, the only diet of God's Word comes through Sunday morning messages that are centered on parenting and marriage and creating your best future for you now? What kind of Christianity does that develop within our lives It develops the same kind of diet for a person who only eats dessert. It becomes unhealthy. Because when we study God's Word in such a way 
that the central thesis of what we study is ourselves. Do you not understand that we begin to think that the Bible is about ourselves? The Bible is not about you. The Bible is for you. The Bible is all about God. And that's a good thing. Because as we come to see God more clearly, as we come to understand Him, this lethargic lifestyle of faith, it flows away. Because we see the one who is valuable. We see the one that we are called to treasure. We see the one who is unchanging for all of eternity. And we see characteristics in a person who are worthy to set our lives upon. A foundation that is unshakable. One who is that we should follow. The first characteristic of spiritual deafness is the people have become lethargic. Look in verse 12. We see the second characteristic of spiritual deafness in verses 12 and 13. They also have become ineffective. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Second characteristic of spiritual deafness is ineffectiveness. What was it in this passage that was keeping the Jewish Christians from being teachers? At first glance, it seems as if they didn't know the basics of the faith. Oh, they're just, they're only receiving milk. They're not receiving solid food. They're just an inch deep and a mile wide. That's what it seems like at first. But as you begin to look at the grammar and to pick up on the sarcasm within this text, what you see is a writer who is concluding that they ought to be teachers because they have been taught all the basics of the Christian faith. But I believe because of potential persecution, they've drawn back from meaningful contact with those who are outside the faith. Does that sound familiar to any of us today? Does that sound familiar to a church in America who is so worried and so concerned about what others will think of them that we find ourselves on a regular basis, let's just call it what it is, fearing man and drawing back from those who are outside the faith? I think we've created a culture within the church today in which we pay highly trained, gifted individuals to do the work of the ministry. And we are reaping the rewards of that inefficient system. See, the job of the pastor is not to do the work of the ministry. The job of the pastor, the job of elders is to equip the saints And the job of the saints, and that's who you are as followers of Jesus, is to do the work of the ministry. You know, if you think about it, evangelists, just because they're gifted in sharing the gospel, it doesn't mean that evangelists are called to save everyone in the world. If evangelists were called to save everyone in the world, then we would continue to have huge crusades like Billy Graham threw, And all you would have to do would be to get your friends into those stadiums. We have enough stadiums in America that we could pack everyone in them eventually, and we could get everyone saved. But that's not the way in which God has called for His kingdom to move forward. Evangelists aren't responsible for saving everyone, are they? 
I mean, to say that evangelists were responsible for saving everyone would be as silly as to say that we pay Andrew to lead us in worship and in singing on Sunday morning because he has the best voice, and so none of us need to sing. We would never do that, right? No, we pay Andrew to lead the band and lead us in singing because he's gifted at it. Therefore, it enables us and it helps us to worship and sing in a much better way than if I led us because I am not as gifted. I, however, continue to sing. And in the same way, God has called each of us to play a role and a part as we're equipped in this kingdom and we're to be not ineffective, but we're to be effective. We'll be ineffective as a church, both Mercy Hill in America, unless we, by God's grace, see men and women and children embrace their identity as missionaries and take the gospel to their work, to their schools, throughout the everyday stuff of life. That's our whole reason for making disciples through a structure of missional communities so that we can be reminded of how we grow up in Christ and then how we lead others to grow up in Christ. I'm convinced that most of you will be far better evangelists than I'll ever be. Far better evangelists. You already have friendships. You have friendships through your work. You have friendships through your hobbies. You have friendships through the natural um, opportunities of life. Me, well, I'm a professional Christian, right? They get paid to do this. And who wants to be friends with a pastor? Because they, they're kind of scary, you know. We stay, oh, you're what? Oh, you're a pa- you're what? Oh, hmm, really? Okay, I'm going to step over here. But the funny thing in America today, I want to encourage you as we think about spiritual deafness and what it looks like to be effective as followers of Jesus You know, I'm actually surprised that that's not the case as often as you would think. Most people actually are curious about spiritual things. Uh, One myth that way too many Christians believe is that people aren't interested in talking about spirituality. You realize people are interested in talking about spirituality. The majority of people that we come in contact with, they're interested In the past, spirituality was, we've seen a huge cultural shift take place all across the world. Just a few hundred years ago, spirituality was, it was regulated by the church and it was relegated to the traditional pathways and structures of denominational church at best. But all that's been blown apart because of individualism, um, because of a lot of different cultural factors that have come into our world, and I'm, I'm speaking much broader than just America, and this is, it has both some, some bad parts to it, but also some good. So that now spirituality has become a, a part of the whole of our world. And so it's caused me to change my vocabulary so that I don't, I try not, no longer to speak of um, believers and non-believers, because we're all believers in something. Like, you realize we all have faith. There's not an individual 
who lives in this world, who is honest intellectually, who says they don't have faith in something. It takes faith to even believe in nothing. And so in our world today, people are spiritually curious. All we have to do is develop relationships with them and get them talking. And we have opportunities to begin to teach them. Even those who claim not to be people of faith believe in something. I I think it takes a lot more faith to believe that there is no uncaused cause. Oh, there is no uncaused cause. There's, there's There's nothing that created this beautiful world that we see around us. Really? You believe that? You have tons of faith to believe that this just all happened and that we have no idea where it comes from. And actually, people aren't really being... They're, they're intellectually unappealing to me if they cop out and just say, I'm just not a person of faith. Yes, you are. I don't believe that. And see, so many of us as believers, we've bought into this lie we step back because we are fearful that we'll be thought of or referred to as old fuddy-duddies. Oh, you old fuddy-duddy. You believe all that stuff. You're one of those people. And we need to remind people and and be honest with them and say, so are you. You're an old fuddy-duddy. And I think the ones who are the fuddy-duddiest, I don't think that's a word, but I just made it one, are those who intellectually cop out and are so unappealing that they say, I just don't have faith. I just don't believe in anything. Yes, you do. It takes great faith to believe in nothing. Let's steer them toward God. Let's point people. Let's be good teachers and cause them to think more deeply about their faith. The third characteristic of those who are spiritually deaf is that they are dangerous. Third characteristic of spiritual deafness is dangerous. Look at verses 13 and 14. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. These Jewish Christians, they lived on milk instead of solid food, not because of theological or doctrinal weaknesses, at least I don't, I don't believe it was, but instead because of moral weakness. They had become unskilled in the word of righteousness. They were unable to distinguish between sound doctrine and the spirit of the age. And we see this played out in two distinct ways in our culture. Those people who would be described as spiritually deaf, they're unable to distinguish sound doctrine anymore, And they become dangerous. And we see it played out in two ways. The first way is what I call the Popeye syndrome. The Popeye syndrome. One of the saddest moments in the life of a Christian is when they begin to believe that change is no longer possible. When they give in to the flesh, when they're defeated, when they become hopeless, and they begin to suffer from what I call the Popeye syndrome. Which is what did Popeye always say? I am who I am. Do you see the disease that sits in when instead of believing that this is who I once was and preaching the gospel to themselves and requesting accountability through community and and committing to transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit, leaning into our sanctification, becoming more and more daily like Jesus, 
Instead, what they've done is to say, I, I can't do it. I just am who I am. I'm stuck. Christians must claim their identity as children of God, as those who are forgiven, as those who are set free, that they're no longer bound by sin, which means that anything is possible in our lives. That there is no besetting sin that we experience because of our past or because of our present that we cannot overcome through the power of the Spirit. You say, that sounds great. Where's the evidence? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the evidence. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in our lives when we submit humbly to Him. The second characteristic of spiritual, or the second aspect of this dangerous deafness that we see is not just the Popeye syndrome, but it's also, and I see this constantly, we experience this constantly. It's the, what I call the you complete me syndrome. And it's the syndrome that usually begins with this statement, I know the Bible says, but. See, we live in an age where too many supposed Christians place their emotions, their experiences, and their feelings as the primary indicator of their decision making. I know the Bible says, but I'm the exception. You know any people like this? It's a dangerous, dangerous way to live. You say, what makes it so dangerous? Because when you begin to think of yourself as the exception, when you begin to, to say, I know the Bible says, but I believe, all of a sudden, the question is, are you really a person of faith? Are you really following Jesus? Because as you, be, as you live that, you fast forward the tape long enough, and you live that lifestyle out long enough, I know the Bible says, but I believe that somehow I'm the exception. And, and go to the book of John. How do you know that you're a follower of Jesus? Go to 1 John or look at John by your fruit. By the fact that you love God and you obey Him. You live a life for decades upon decades upon decades in which you say, I know the Bible says, but I am somehow the exception. And the fruit of your life shows something different. And you are treading on very, very dangerous ground. Two syndromes of those who are dangerous. The Popeye syndrome, I'm never going to change. The you complete me syndrome. Both of these syndromes indicate dangerous individuals because they've lost their moral grounding. They've lost their foundation. They're tossed around like waves on the ocean. They've built their lives on shaky foundations that are destined to crumble. Consider it. The Popeye syndrome is based on their own works. They're saying, I can't change. I can't do it. And so it's not possible. The you complete me syndrome is based on finding satisfaction and treasuring someone or something more than God. Both of these always destined to failure. Always. The writer ends in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6. It's unfortunate that there's a chapter break there because his argument clearly continues. He says, Therefore... Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. It's an interesting statement. Let us leave 
the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, what does he mean? Does he mean to abandon these doctrines? No. You know, first graders don't abandon their ABCs just because in preschool and kindergarten they learned their ABCs and then that enabled them to recognize sight words and now they're beginning to put those sight words together in order to create sentences. They don't abandon their ABCs. They just build upon them. And in the same way, the writer is saying, let us build upon these things. And I'm not going to teach through them. Um, Just a quick explanation. You could split them up into three categories. And these three categories would be a great way to to really put together um, a curriculum for discipleship. The first would be that we see justification. Dead works and faith toward God. Let's talk about that. Justification. Let's talk about the fact that we are dead to sin and alive to God and that we are no, we're saved by grace through faith. So let's examine our works and let's, let's make sure we're clear in understanding how we've come to know God and that we have faith in God that is all dependent upon Jesus and not dependent upon ourselves. That would be a place to start. Justification. The second would be sanctification. He talks about the washing and the laying on of hands. And so how do, we, how do we grow in Jesus? How do we become more like Jesus every day? That's our sanctification. And he talks about the washings and laying on of hands was associated with the coming of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And so how do we also live a life that's empowered by the Spirit? And then finally, our glorification. Let's not forget the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. What are we living for? Where is our treasure in this life? He says, let's build on these things as a solid foundation. The big idea in this text is that learning to listen is a key to the Christian life. Learning to listen to God. Not being spiritually deaf. Because being spiritually deaf is dangerous. Being spiritually deaf is ineffective. Being spiritually deaf causes us to really struggle in understanding all that God has called us to. So as you think about this rebuke, this meddling of the writer in Hebrews, where is it in your life that you've given up the idea that change is possible? Where is it in your life that you've given up the idea that change is possible? Where have you caved to sin? Where have you allowed old habits, your feelings or the culture that's around you to cause, you, to cause your hearing to become dull? When's the last time the Lord spoke to you and you obeyed? As you go to His Word, do you have the clarity, do you have the expectation that God will speak to you? I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as as they're coming up and we're transitioning, I just want you to think about this. As you take some time to reflect on what it means to be spiritually deaf, to ask yourself, man, I'm looking at these characteristics, I'm trying to identify, am I spiritually deaf? Like, is there anything going on within my heart and my mind that is causing me not to hear the truth of the gospel? If we're going to see change take place in our lives, in order to learn to listen to the Word of God and to learn to listen to the Spirit of God, we first have to not seek to change our behavior. You know, whenever we go, man, I'm spiritually dead, and I'm really struggling, and I'm trying to figure out, like, what I need to do do. Isn't that where we usually go to? What do I need to do? 
I'm spiritually dead because there's these things in my life that I just repetitively have done and I need to make change. And so what do I need to do? But the call of the gospel is not to a call of, to change our moral behavior. Instead, the call of the gospel is to change the way we perceive God's call on our lives. Got one final quote for you. It comes from Tim Chester. He says it this way. All too often we think of holiness as giving up the pleasures of sin for some worthy but drab life. But holiness means recognizing that the pleasures of sin are empty and temporary. While God is inviting us to magnificent, true, full, and rich pleasures that last forever. Ultimately, what Chester is saying is that holiness isn't just right, it's good. And that holiness is what brings joy to our lives. Happiness is fading, it's up and down. But leaning into God's calling and God's voice in our lives is actually what brings true joy. We'll never do that if we're spiritually deaf. We listen to His voice in your life. We embrace His truth. Some of you go, I don't know how to do that. You do it the way you've always done it. You do it the way that the gospel calls us to do it. You know, we, we sang a song uh, growing up in Southern Baptist Church. We sang a hymn. We sang a lot of hymns. And a lot of them I didn't really pay a lot of attention to. They've become a lot more meaningful to me as I've gotten older because I see the truths and I see the, the doctrine behind them. And there's a little old song that we sang called Trust and Obey. And the refrain simply said, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. How did it end? To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. He said, how do I listen to God's voice? How do I cure this spiritual deafness? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Trust and obey. Believe, follow Him. Commit today anew to embrace His power as you humbly submit to trust and obey. Let's pray together. Father, we admit that we are a people who are easily spiritually deaf. God, there are so many noises that crowd our hearts, that crowd our minds. God, many times we're not even aware of our spiritual deafness. God, we're not aware of our ineffectiveness. We aren't aware of how dangerous the ways of the world have become and how we have forgotten all that you have called us to. God, I pray today that you would call us as believers as we examine our lives to grow closer and closer to you, Jesus. Father, I pray that we would remember, God, what's at stake. God, I pray that we would remember our calling as missionaries, our identity. God, that you would grow us up into Jesus in a way that we wouldn't be lethargic, God, but that we'd be effective, that we'd be passionate for you, that we'd be quick to speak your name, God, that we would find our joy in you and that you, Jesus, would make us complete. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.